You are slipping into a distorted dimension. Reality and fantasy are changing places past the event horizon. Bullies are victims, men are women, and abuse is love. You weren't here just yesterday. Reality is still out there. But to find your way back, you have to notice it. And now, the Disaffected Podcast with Joshua Slocum. Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. I'm going to pick up the theme of homosexuality, child abuse, and the relationship between them that I hypothesize in this episode. But first, I'm going to complain a little bit about all the talk about Russia invading Ukraine. Woke is woke is woke. And almost overnight this week, people have stopped talking about COVID and the very same people who were talking about COVID nonstop are now talking about Russia and Ukraine nonstop. We should be flying the Ukrainian flag on all federal buildings. Why don't you change your profile picture to show solidarity with the Ukrainians with a flag? Ugh, and the worst, the absolute worst. <laughs> Kiev, Kiev. Overnight, people who have been saying the word Kiev their entire lives are calling it Kiev. And why are they doing that? Because NPR. <laughs> I noticed this on NPR. Well, I when did I stop listening to NPR? I, you guys, I was an NPR addict. I had nothing on the car radio tuned that was not NPR for probably 20 years. And I really only stopped listening sometime within the past five years. I couldn't take it anymore. I mean, I was coming out of wokeness, but I think that even if I weren't, it it, it would have gotten too oppressive. I mean, everything on there is race, 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 queer, race, race, queer, race, queer. And they're so precious about their reporters who have ethnic names so it's always reporting live from so and so. I am Lourdes Garcia Navarro, <laughs> and I noticed they were saying Keith, Keith. That's the woke way to say it. So now everybody's saying it. And I was on Twitter, of course, and I actually saw an article about whether American restaurants should rename the dish that is stuffed chicken breast with buttered herb inside to. Not chicken Kiev, but chicken Kiev. Why don't we just call it Freedom Chicken? We did that with fries, didn't we? <laughs> I swear to God. I, what, how do people not understand that they are being led around by the nose by the media? I th- I think people really can't. They probably really don't understand this. I don't think they're aware of their own actions, but... You can see them when you look in from the outside. You can see people changing their pronunciation, changing their apparent political priorities, 
highlighting certain currently emotional, emotionally sympathetic stances literally overnight based on the agenda of the mainstream media. So it's not COVID anymore. It's all Keefe. All right. Let's not talk about that anymore. Let's talk about fucked up mothers and gay sons. So as I told you a few episodes ago, my hypothesis is that, well, first, I've noticed the correlation. I'm not hypothesizing about this. This correlation exists in the real world. It's not in question. It's real. The correlation between gay men and having abusive parents, particularly, not exclusively, but particularly having a borderline or narcissistic mother and a narcissistic violent father or absent or ineffectual father. And that might take the form of a father who literally runs away before the child is born, like mine did. It might take the form of a father who is almost not involved at all in the child rearing and stays late at work to avoid the family. Um, A father who doesn't correct his wife's excesses. And yes, wives should correct their husband's excesses, but when we're talking about cluster Bs here. Um, or a father who is violent. And I had that experience as well in my stepfather, the man that, that my mother married when I was almost four years old. And I want to read you a quote from Camille Polly. Did I read you this quote already? I probably did. Yeah, I think I did it in the last show. Anyway. So Camille Polly has said, and I'm paraphrasing, that of every gay man she's ever known, there's always a dramatic backstory that had to do with his mother and an absent father. And almost every gay man I've ever known has met uh, those criteria as well. I have not done an exhaustive literature search, but there are a few studies and articles that caught my eye that I wanted to share with you. I'm wondering if it's better to share these with you first or, you know what, let me draw out a little bit more about what I'm, what I'm going to call the gender policing in my childhood. I was born in 1974 and for the first three or four years of my life, it was just my mother and me, sometimes my mother and my grandmother and me. My father, I never met. He was gone before I was born. And I was very, very close to my mother throughout my early childhood. I clung to her. I was a, as as far back as I can remember, I was a sensitive boy. I cried easily. I liked animals. I had a lot of feelings, um, a lot of fears. And I was definitely a mama's boy. I'd run to my mother to be comforted when I was crying or scared about something. And she did a lot of that, especially when I was very young. Um, I don't even want to criticize too hard um, because there were parts of my childhood where, well, there were moments, of course, of my childhood where my mother was not flagrantly abusive. Um, they didn't last for long. But I, I think there's something to the idea that a boy, especially an emotionally sensitive boy, you know, maybe I popped out of the womb that way. Maybe that's just the way my constitution is wired. 
higher in anxiety, higher in emotion, that sort of thing. But when a sensitive and emotional boy is very close to his mother and his mother indulges that clinginess, I think it's unhealthy. And and the, he's, <laughs> it, it feels weird because like I don't actually want to criticize my mother for this because it's going to sound like she can't do anything right. Like she's either mean or she loves me too much. I understand how that sounds. Nonetheless... I, I I think it does have something to do with a lack of an inability to individuate, an inability to separate emotionally and as a person from your mother. Um, and if my experience is shared by other gay men, I think it also may have something to do with my sexuality, with why I found myself erotically attracted to men. And I think probably pretty obviously also the inability to have to have a father figure that I felt I could live up to or please you know my stepfather couldn't do anything to please him wasn't the right kind of son or or stepson and he was violent so my experience of men from a young age was of fear and violence um and I did not make emotional connections with men the way I did with women certainly not with my stepfather I tried when I was a little boy but I didn't try for very long because I just didn't like him and he didn't like me. As I got older, well, as time went on, there was a lot of, of what people call gender policing. I've told this story on the TV show, but very quickly, when I was five years old, I wanted to go out to Halloween as the Wicked Witch of the West. And, and it really upset my mother, upset her to the point where she was she reacted this way. I'll, I'll try to sort of do her voice. What's wrong with you? Why do you want to go out dressed like a girl? Witches are girls. That's not for boys. Christ, why can't you just be a wizard? Really, really annoyed. There was some real anxiety underneath that. And it was actually my stepfather, interestingly, who (laughs) turned to my mother when she was getting so upset. He said, Bonnie, what's wrong with you? The kid just wants to go as a witch for Halloween. Just get him a costume. What's the big deal? So it was interesting that it was my stepfather who defended my my gender nonconforming choice during that dispute between mother and I, between mother and me, excuse me. And as I got older, my mother would vacillate between treating me as a very special, very close boy who shared her secrets and was sensitive and loving and a boy who was not being a boy the right way. She would criticize me for not playing outside enough, not roughhousing with other boys. I was afraid of other boys. Um, I didn't know how to punch. I didn't know how to defend myself. I didn't understand boy lingo. I didn't understand boy body language. All I experienced was threat. Boys and men to me were merely opportunities for potential humiliation or physical danger. And my mother was of a very split mind about all of this. I remember one time she said to me, I feel so bad for not giving you a father, not giving you a father figure that you could look up to. And I think this was after she had divorced my stepfather. 
which she had to do because he was violent and he would have killed her. He tried to kill her one night. That was the last night he was in the house, the night that he strangled her. And she said, and I worried, I, you know what? This must have been, this must have been when I was coming out as gay to my mother, which she was actually very good about. She said, I, I felt so guilty because I, I thought I was going to make you gay. I thought that you being so close to me would make you turn out abnormal. I thought that the fact that your stepfather was who he was was going to make you gay. And I rushed to reassure her because, of course, I did. It was always about me telling my mother she hadn't done anything wrong. She had nothing to feel guilty for, that I loved her, that she was the best mother. I did that whether whether the situation called for it or not. I think she she did genuinely have these worries. And, and to some degree, she did question whether she had done the right thing. And in those days, of course, I didn't believe that there was any environmental influence that 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 affected sexuality. I was of the born this way generation. That's not just something that Lady Gaga came along with in, in 2012. Uh, the idea that homosexuality was biological and only biological and and never influenced by anything else and certainly god forbid never a choice that was the era that i grew up in and the only options available to you as a young gay person to feel good about yourself and to feel that you weren't broken because you were gay was to say i was born this way or god made me this way we didn't have the option it wasn't there percolating in the culture to say something else might have happened that helped me to become gay, but being gay isn't in and of itself a big problem. That option was not there. So I came out to my mother in my early teens, but just a few years before then, a couple incidents took place. We were living in Cortland, New York. I I remember this very, very well. I was 10 years old. We had just moved back from Southern California to upstate New York. My mother was in the kitchen washing dishes and she had the radio on and the radio news was playing and there was a story on about a city somewhere in the United States where they had passed a resolution that landlords could evict gay tenants um, on those grounds alone and the, the radio story was about that and about the protest from the gay activist community and I was in the other room I think I was picking up or vacuuming or something while my mother was doing the dishes and she talked back to the radio and she said, good, good. Those people aren't normal and they don't deserve to live with the rest of us normal people. And my blood ran cold. I, mean, I, can, st- I can still feel the shock and the horror of it because as I, as I stood there, it, 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 I, rem- I remember this in my head. The voice in my head said, I am those people. I'm those abnormal people. And my mother hates me. And if she ever knew, what would become of me? Obviously, I didn't say anything. A couple of years later, my mother started community college and she got a new group of friends, women friends. And every last one of them was a lesbian. (laughs) There were card parties on Monday nights where my mother's lesbian girlfriends would come over 
and sit around the dining room table drinking coffee or beer, smoking cigarette after cigarette and playing cards with each other. And I I thought these ladies were really cool. I mean, you know, they were your conventional butch lesbians from the 1980s. Uh, They were raucous. They had a body sense of humor. They ribbed me a little bit, and I liked it. Uh, It felt very sophisticated. But it was also weird. You know what? We're coming up on the halfway mark. I'm going to pick this story up after the break. Kevin and Josh work themselves to the bone to bring you dark and disturbing content every week. There are starving listeners overseas who get no podcasts at all. Show appropriate gratitude today by making a donation at patreon.com forward slash disaffected or at subscribestar.com forward slash disaffected. Do it for mother. And we're back. So there's all these lesbians around the dining room table whooping and hollering, as lesbians do. (laughs) And one night they left, and I was having a conversation with my mother about her new friends, and I said I liked them. I said I thought they were fun ladies. And she said, you know they're lesbians, right? I don't remember what I said back. And I don't actually remember if I... Yeah, I knew. I mean, I... (sighs) Well, of course I knew. Yeah, I knew. Uh, but everybody knew. They were all named Barb. Um, and my mother said, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. Some people are just born that way. And they're good people. And they're my friends. And I like them. And I thought, wow, that's great. I mean, what a turnaround from a few years ago when she was yelling at the radio about the abnormal people. I was delighted. And that is part of what gave me the ability to come out to her soon um, soon after that conversation. Um, let's turn to some of the research. Now, those of you listening here, especially if you are researchers, if you're in psychology, I realize that you have a much better grasp of the literature than I do. What I have found has been through internet searching. I haven't done a really scholarly search. There may be a lot more literature out there that I am unaware of, and I'd like to be aware of it. So if you want to expand my horizons, um, if I'm wrong about the paucity of, of literature on this subject, I would be delighted to know. You can always send an email, us at disaffected.fm. That's us, U-S, at disaffected.fm. Here's a story, a study, excuse me, from 1991 called Mothers of Boys with Gender Identity Disorder, a Comparison of Matched Controls. Now, yes, I said gender identity disorder, not homosexuality. Why am I bringing this in? Because it is also my hypothesis that what they called gender identity disorder, and which I still I still use that term. I They call it gender dysphoria now so that it sounds nicer, but that's stupid. It just means gender unhappiness. And of course, because they don't want, they don't want to use the word disorder because that's judgmental. But strangely, it's still in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, but it's not a disorder. You see how this works, right? It's political. 
Yeah, I realize I'm going to have to get into the topic of the 1973 removal of homosexuality from the DSM, and I'm probably not going to like what I find. That'll be for a later show. Gender identity disorder, the idea, and in those days, in 1991, it was almost unheard of in girls. This was almost exclusively something that boys had. To my mind, is really just an effeminate, probably gay boy who had a more extreme experience integrating that maybe than the typical gay boy did. I don't think this is a different phenomenon. I don't think it is a different cohort. I think it is the same cohort of boys. I think most of these boys, whether you say they have gender identity disorder, um, whether you say they have gender dysphoria, they want to wear dresses, uh, they think that their body is wrong. That was me. I've, to- I've disclosed that to you before. I used to go to bed at night praying to God that I would wake up a normal boy in the morning. I thought I had a birth defect or that God was punishing me. I wasn't supposed to think about boys the way I did think about them, and I was supposed to think about girls in a way that I couldn't think about them, and I couldn't feel about them. That's, who, that's why I'm bringing this in, because I think this is the cohort. I think they're talking about boys like me. Let me give you a little bit from this study. I've pulled out a few here. So what they did was they took a set of mothers and sons with with gender identity disorder, and they matched them with control pairs, meaning mothers and sons, sons who did not have gender identity disorder, so they could do a comparison. And what they found was that 53% of the mothers of sons with gender identity disorder met the diagnostic criteria for borderline personality disorder or had major depressive symptoms. I don't like the or part here. I do not understand why they didn't separate these things out because while depression often accompanies borderline personality disorder, it also exists completely independent of it. They really mashed together two things that should not have been mashed together. Um, And yeah, I'm disappointed in that. 53%. I'd like to know what was going on with the other 47%. Because I strongly suspect that it wasn't just 53%. Maybe they just didn't meet certain thresholds. From the paper. It is now fairly well established that gender identity disorder usually occurs in a context of psychopathology other than cross-gender behavior. That's important, my friends. Uh, long parenthetical. For example, studies have found that extremely feminine boys have more psychopathology than normal controls on behavioral disturbance inventories, scoring in the range of psychiatrically referred children. Coates and Person, these are two authors, found that 60% of their sample boys with gender identity disorder met the DSM criteria for separation anxiety disorder and also scored in the clinical range on the depression scale. I certainly did. I had clinical depression before I was 10 years old. And anxiety and desperate anxiety about being separated from my mother. Back to what they wrote. 
The finding of a relationship between gender identity disorder and separation anxiety disorder has recently been replicated by Lowry and Zucker. On blind-rated Rorschach tests, boys with gender identity disorder, when compared with normal controls, were found to have more evidence of boundary disturbances and a more frequent internal experience of others as overpowering and malevolent. (laughs) Another piece from the paper. The clinical observations of mothers of boys with gender identity disorder from several different research units suggest that the mothers have difficulty with affect regulation that manifests itself in psychiatric disorders such as borderline personality and depression. Co-author Susan Coates believes that a predisposition in the boy to anxiety, an unusual capacity for positive emotional connection, an ability to imitate, and a variety of sensory sensitivities, as well as parental difficulties in affect regulation, interact during a critical period of mental representational ability in the boy's life before gender constancy is established. To bring about gender identity disorder, according to this model, familial psychopathology is only one of several significant predisposing factors in the development of gender identity disorder in boys. And I may not need to do this. It may be obvious enough, but I want to put it in even plainer terms. This boy with a predisposition to anxiety and unusual capacity for positive emotional connection, I, in plain language, that's an emotional boy, an empathetic, maybe excessively empathetic boy, an ability to imitate a variety of sensory sensitivities. That all describes me. I realize it's not going to describe every gay kid. Uh, It's going to describe some of you, though. And even if it doesn't, when I talk about these things, I hope it shakes something loose for you. You know, if you identify with this, if you say that was me, it would be interesting to hear from you. Or if it wasn't you and and what was different would also uh, be interesting to hear from you. But boy, boy, do I see my childhood self reflected in the descriptions in this paper. And finally, in addition to difficulties in affect regulation, affect meaning how happy, how sad you are, how emotionally demonstrative or reserved you are. In addition to difficulties in affect regulation, management of aggression, and chronic depressive experiences, the findings indicate that mothers of boys with GID are vulnerable to transient but not prolonged experiences of depersonalization, brief paranoid experiences, and transient psychotically depressed ideation. That describes my mother, and it describes many people with borderline personality disorder. And sometimes it it has described a younger me. I battled with panic attacks for a long time. I I know what depersonalization is like, and I've had those transient paranoid experiences. I have I haven't ever actually lost full touch with reality. Like I've I haven't hallucinated things that weren't there either auditory or visual, but I've gotten very close to I mean I've had episodes of having a very distorted idea of what other people were saying or thinking about me. Um and as I've said before, I think when I was a younger man, a teen, and into my 20s, I probably qualified for a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. And I still have traits of borderline uh, that I deal with. 
so, you know, in some ways, like mother, like son. Oh, this is interesting, too. There's a part of the paper where they talk about, they give some examples and quotations from interviews they did with the subjects that they studied. And they set this up by talking about this. The findings of the symbiosis interview, and I think this was a portion where they were trying to figure out how enmeshed these mothers were with their sons. The findings of this interview suggest that mothers of boys with gender identity disorder have child-rearing attitudes and behavior that promote symbiosis and interfere with the development of autonomy. Compared to the control group, mothers of sons with GID are extremely dependent on their sons for emotional sustenance. They have boundary problems and difficulty separating from their sons. They use intrusive control measures when limit setting and disapprove of their sons' relationships with others. Examples of these behaviors from the interviews of mothers of sons with GID are as follows. And here's a few. Illustrating the concept of, of a mother being dependent. Quote, he's my reason for living. He's the only person I really have besides my mother, and I'm the only person he has. End quote. An example of difficulty separating. Quote, I can't think of anything that I do apart from my son, age 12. I never go any place without him. We're always attached. End quote. On boundaries. Quote, when I'm unhappy, he feels unhappy. If I had a headache, he'll say, maybe I'll lay down. If I'm tired, he'll get tired too. Very familiar from my relationship with my mother. An example of intrusive control. He never does anything that I don't know about. He always tells me everything. I always encourage him to tell me everything that he's doing. End quote. My mother too. We don't have secrets, Josh. You can tell me anything. Tell me all of your feelings. And I did. Until I stopped doing it. As I got closer to adolescence. Because I realized that there was a price to pay. <laughs> and that I was in an economic transaction with my mother that I couldn't really afford. There's another study I looked at. about the mental health landscape of gay and lesbian people. There are more like this, there, and the statistics are similar. People don't like this when I say it, but people don't like true things to be said when true things are uncomfortable. And the reality is, <laughs> as my friend Clay once said to his doctor, gay men are fucked up up. And we are. The rates of mental illness, drug abuse, addiction, and personality disorders among homosexuals are far higher than in the general population. That stereotype of the unstable and histrionic gay man is a stereotype because it's true. Every one of you listening right now knows it's true. And it might be the first time you've heard a gay man actually say it. So if you need this, I'm giving you permission to believe the stereotypes. <laughs> because they're true. Of course, it isn't every gay man. But it's a whole boatload of them, isn't it? 
So this is from the Canadian Journal of Psychiatry in 2011, um, titled Sexual Orientation and Its Relation to Mental Disorders and Suicide Attempts, Findings from a Nationally Representative Sample. This sample was of uh, United States adults. It was a general population sample. It was not taken at a clinic or at a substance abuse treatment center, and it included more than 14,000 people. And they, they gave them structured interviews. They evaluated them on checklists for various mental ailments, personality disturbances, and this is what they found. And I'm speaking here, I just pulled out the stats about men. They do have stats about women as well. Um, but who cares about women? I'm gay. <laughs> so listen to this. <clears throat> and these are all expressed in percentages. Of those studied... Um, showing signs of any mood disorder, such as depression, heterosexual men, 20%, homosexual men, 46%, bisexual men, 37%. So the gays are more than twice as high on the mood disorder scale, and the bis are about halfway between uh, straight people and gays. Hmm. This one's fun. Of those studied those showing any cluster B personality disorders. Heterosexual men, 15%. Now that's interesting by itself because this is a representative general population survey. And they found they found that 15% of straight men showed signs of a cluster B personality disorder. I've talked about this before. You know, you look at the official estimates and you get shit like 1%, 2%, 3%. And I've been saying all along, since I've been doing Disaffected, that I think it's closer to 10%. And I found some other, I found some actual working professionals who've written about this who agree with me. These people found 15%. This is one study. I didn't get into the methodology. That may be flawed, but it's interesting to know. So any cluster B disorder, 15% of straight men. For gay men, 31%. And frankly, I think that's a little low. Bisexuals, 26%, right in the middle again. Interesting. I don't know quite where to wrap up with that. Um, so I'm just going to wrap up this way. I want to remind you that you are only going to get this audio-only content on podcasts, so don't ever be looking for it on YouTube or anything like that. Thank you very much for listening. Um Join us on Sundays, as always, for our TV show. It comes out at 9 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. And if you like this podcast and you want to help Kevin and me grow it, Kevin and I grow it, look at me. I did the, I did the same mistake reversed in the same podcast. We could, really, we, we could really use your support, your financial support. This costs money. If you want to support us, visit patreon.com slash disaffected or subscribestar.com dot com slash disaffected we really really appreciate it and when you do support us even if you support us at only a buck or a pound a month you'll get access to our monthly donor only private unrecorded zoom hangouts it's me sometimes kevin comes and other show listeners and we have a really great time and we validate each other so see you next time folks well 
Hello, listener. It's Mommy again. You're quite welcome for the fine program. Why don't you show some gratitude? Send Mommy some money on Patreon. Patreon.com slash disaffected. Or subscribestar.com slash disaffected. You wouldn't want Mommy to starve, would you? And if you don't love your dear mother, you're not invited to find us on YouTube, Rumble, or Odyssey for our hottest weekly content. I guess this is goodbye forever.